said, I'm familiar with that. Where I came from, they'd stand in the back of the church and holler, preach, preacher. And then they'd make fun of you after the church. But, you know, that's another story. <laughs> John chapter 14 is, for me personally, it's, it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. When, uh, when most people find themselves in need of encouragement or in need of some kind of instruction, they'll, they'll go to the Psalms or they'll go to the Proverbs or something like that. And me, I've always gone to John chapter 14. And I, I don't know, it may be because it, it's had a special impact in my life or maybe because like the first verse that I actually memorized as a young Christian was uh, John 14, 6, which, of course, if you don't know it, shame on you. Because the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That was my first real interaction with solid theology. I didn't know that that's what it was, but that's what it was. But it's the first verse that I actually memorized. It's, uh, I think I'm a little bit behind the times because most people go for John 11:35, which is Jesus wept. Thank you. Somebody memorized. Rest, y'all need to get back in Sunday school. Shame on you. You should have known that. Jesus wept, all right? But John, John 14 is my go-to for everything. And there's so much good stuff in John 14. You know, as the, as the chapter opens up, you know, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's talking about he's going to go and he's going to prepare a place for us. And that's fantastic. And I'm looking forward to what Jesus is preparing for us. But he also says, you know, because he's preparing it, he's going to come back and receive us. And you know, when, I, when I find myself really struggling with the things that are going on in life, I said, you know what? He's coming back. He's going to take me up out of here someday. And I ain't got to worry about this no more. You know? When I'm looking around and everything is in chaos and we've got people that are arguing, like I said, the, the validity of truth. What is truth? It's, you know, self-defined or my truth is different than your truth. I can look to John 14 and I can say, this is truth. Jesus is truth. There's only one truth. When I want to know how to live or what I should do, I see right here in, in verse 15, and the Lord says very simply, if you love me, keep my commandments. Maybe another reason why I like John 14 so much is it's full of uh, what we call bullet points. Yeah. Short, simple, to the point statements. It's just cut to the chase. It's not a long, drawn-out passage. It's just right there. It's in your face. It hits you between the eyes. And it's just clear-cut. But it's one of my favorites. And it's chalked right in the middle of what is very realistically the most important dinner conversation ever recorded. You know, if we go back and we start at chapter 13, at the beginning of chapter 13, we see that that is where the whole Last Supper begins. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let me apologize for that. Now our great Northwest weather has done one of these things. And when it did that, my sinuses said, Whoa! And now my throat's all scratchy and my nose is running back. It's disgusting. So I don't have COVID. It's like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not a tumor. I don't have COVID. It's just you know sinuses that are killing me. And this will be the second bottle of water I killed this morning. But you know Jesus and his disciples 
have gathered in the upper room and they've had dinner and they're having this conversation. And, and John in chapter 13 and chapter 14 gives us what is really the most comprehensive account of this whole conversation of, other, of the four Gospels. Of course, you know, Luke records a small bit of it in chapter 22 of his Gospel. Mark talks about it in 14 of his. And then Matthew gives us a, a little piece of it in chapter 26. And all four of them pay attention to the, the betrayal of Judas that we know uh, takes place this night or it, it comes to fruition this night. And several of them pay attention to a couple other aspects but John records for us a lot of the conversation, a lot of the teaching that goes on. And as you read through this, you realize that this is, this is the Lord's last opportunity that he has to really lay down some good instruction for these men that have been walking with him for the last three and a half years. He knows this is the end of the line. You know, he, he takes his opportunity to teach them some things directly about, you know, about serving one another because we see recorded in this evening the washing of his disciples' feet. And he takes that to show them what a servant leader is and what humility really looks like. It's a great object lesson. Of course, he also gives this opportunity to show them and teach them about what Christian love truly is and what it means to be obedient to Him. In the verse I referenced a minute ago, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, many people say that they love God, but they don't live it. And they don't show it in their lives, and it's, it's a total fallacy. But Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them that. Then verse 25 in our passage that we read, you know, we see that Jesus is, winding up this teaching as he gives his goodbye statement. This is the end, really, of the Last Supper. You know, as we were to roll forward into chapter 15, we would see that they leave the upper room and they go on a walk towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know from our, our time in church and in the Scriptures that it's at the Garden that he's finally betrayed and that he's taken captive and that they drag him away to be judged and ultimately crucified uh, for the sins of the world. But nevertheless, while he's here, he wants to leave some impressions with these, these men that have been with him, and he wants to be able to say goodbye to them. He wants to, to say some things in his goodbye, and we see that in verse 25 in our passage that we read. It says, These things... Have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you? I've spent all this time this evening teaching you and, and showing you and instructing you and leaving you with uh, what I can while I'm still here. As I'm preparing to go forward to Memphis and, and spend what I hope to be the rest of my life serving God there with Oklahoma Baptist Church, I don't want to leave Berean Baptist Church without taking an opportunity to share with you some things on my heart and to share with you some desires that I have for Berean Baptist Church. Now, as I've alluded to many times, I've been here for almost nine years. I've seen a lot of change. I've seen a lot of people come, a lot of people go. But the one thing I have not seen change, and I'm glad for that, is the love of God in this place. 
You know, Jesus is represented here, and I hope that that never changes. The gospel is preached here, and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that as long as Bob Reno is pastor of Berean Baptist Church, that will continue. I know that souls are saved through the gospel of this church, that the message that goes out, and I know and I hope that will continue. I pray that more people will get involved in the ministry of this church. Now, we, we've talked a few times about the 80-20 rule and how 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and I hope that that is not the continuing trend here. As things start to wind down with COVID and the pandemic and all that, and people start coming back, I hope more people get on fire for God. This is a perfect time to, to get out in the world. And Jesus is explaining, he, he's taking this opportunity as he's beginning to wind down his message of the evening. He's telling these, young, these men, he said, hey, this is the time for you to get busy. You've got a job to do. You're going to have to go to work. It says, but he's not going to leave them without provision. He's going to give them certain things. And the first thing he's going to give them is the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Verse 26 goes on to tell us. Said, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus is going to send somebody that's going to help them and going to encourage them and going to instruct them. They're going to need it. But our, our key verse today, the, the, the place I want to spend the most time today is in verse 27. Where Jesus says, peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says he's leaving peace. And as I opened up a few minutes ago, I talked about all the chaos that's going on in our world today and all the things that are around us and that we deal with and we see on the news. Peace is the furthest thing from what we're dealing with today, isn't it? Just in our local community, with all that we've had to endure with the virus in the last few months, peace seems the furthest from our minds. What is peace, really? Peace defined in a general sense, is a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation, applicable to society, <clears throat> to individuals, or to the temper of the mind. It's a long definition, isn't it? But it's freedom. Freedom from agitation. We also see it's freedom from war or with foreign nation, a public quiet. You know, the ever-elusive idea of world peace comes to mind when we think about that. It's also freedom from agitation and disturbances of passions and from fear and from terror, anger and anxiety of the like. We, we see the idea of tranquility or calmness or quietness of conscience 
None of those things we see when we look around us today, do we? None of those things are in the world today. When we think about the riots that have gone on for months now, not just days, months, some areas over 60 days straight, rioting and looting and burning and just absolute chaos. We call them protests. And there are actual protests going on around the world, just regular protests where people are standing in the streets and shouting and screaming, looking for things like justice. But you don't hear a whole lot about peace. We have hate all around us today. Hate for our opinions. Hate for the color of our skin. Whether it be black or white or yellow or red, whatever. Just hate. Hate for where you live or the job you have or how much money you make or don't make. Just so much hate. Not really any peace, though, is there? We're seeing, you know, besides the regular, you know, wars that are going on all over the world and things of that nature, there's just so much other stuff that's really destroying the peace that we so much long for. And that's on the outside. What about on the inside? How about in your own heart and in your own mind? Or you deal with your family and you, you know, the young mother who's got toddlers at home that they're just wide open all day long because there's no place to send them because so much stuff in the world is shut down. You think she's got any peace in her life? She, she really would like some. But there's not a whole lot to be had. The regular problems of life do so much to to counterbalance the peace that we so long for. We ask for peace. We pray for peace. We search for peace. We say things like, if I could only get some peace and quiet. But peace is not around, is it? So what's the Lord talking about? He says, peace, I leave you. He said, peace identified is first the peace that we see here that the Lord is talking about. The first peace he's talking about is really a benediction of sorts. If we were to do a word study in in our passage, we'd come to find out that this kind of peace is just a way of saying goodbye. This is why I said that this is Jesus closing up the message of the day. He's closing out supper. He's getting ready to go away. And he starts this by saying, Peace I leave with you. In the Eastern culture of today, in in Hebrew, it would be shalom. That's that's the way of saying hello or goodbye, shalom. In Arabic, which is a very close cousin, it would be salam. Salam alaykum Allah. They say, peace of God be upon you. That's the way of saying goodbye or hello, and that it's a prayer, it's a blessing. And they're asking for God to bless you with peace, that He keep you safe, that He give you tranquility in your life, that He give you good things, that you have peace. And that's 
the Lord is saying as he starts this statement, he says, Peace, I leave with you. I'm saying goodbye to you. And I'm hoping for your best. So both imply a blessing that is being requested on behalf of the person being spoke to. But he says again, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. The second piece is different. The second piece is very unique in its meaning and its, and its purpose. So it's, first of all, it's unique because he lays claim to it. Jesus says, it's my peace that I'm giving to you. It's purpose and it's providence comes specifically from me. My peace I give unto you. It's a gift from the Prince of Peace. Notice there's no qualifier as he gives this. He says, I leave it unto you, but I give it to you. Do we really feel like we've gotten any peace? Outwardly, no. But there's more to it than that. See, this peace is personal to the Lord. This peace that He's giving, it's a part of who He is, first of all. But it's also it's a part of the legacy that He's leaving with these men as He's preparing to go into the next stage of His ministry, which is His eventual departure. He's leaving a legacy with these men that have followed Him so long. You think, well, He's been with them for three and a half years. How much more could He leave them? He's been teaching them and, and training them and, and healing sick and lame and blind and deaf and mute and all of these things that he's done and there's so much that he has given to them and now he's giving them one more thing, this legacy of his peace. He's giving them this legacy so that they can carry on with it. They're going to have to look back on this time and they're going to have to draw from it. Because as we know, their lives are not peaceful. Much like our life is not really peaceful. Though he's leaving them a legacy to draw upon that comes from him personally. It's his peace. It's not their peace. It's not something that they can manufacture. It can only come from him. It only has any power when it comes from Him. It only has any purpose when it comes from Him. It's His peace, very specifically. It says, not only we defined peace and we identified the peace, but we're going to contrast the peace. Look at what He says there in the verse. He says, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, Give I unto you. The world's peace is, of course, temporal, isn't it? It's, it's very temporary. It doesn't last. We think about the vacation that we so desire to take. So we can get peace from our jobs. We want to go away for a while, spend time with our toes in the sand or you know, in a tree stand with a rifle in our hands. Some people, that's peaceful. Not so much for whatever you're hunting. 
But it's peaceful to the individual. But it's temporary, isn't it? We have to come down out of the stand. We have to fold the chair away and fold the blankets up and go back home. We have to get back in the car and drive back to the house and prepare to go back to life. Peace is temporary. It's enjoyment for a while, sometimes. Sometimes we go away and we think we're going to find peace and we don't find it there when we get there. We find more chaos. I recall going to the beach as a kid um, in North Carolina where I grew up. Everybody goes to the same beach. It's either Myrtle Beach in South Carolina or Hilton Head, which is for the really special people. I didn't go to Hilton Head. I went to Myrtle where everybody else went. And Myrtle as a kid was great. You know, I didn't know anything better. But for my parents, and then, of course I as a parent when I got older, I realized that there was no peace at that beach. It was nice to sit on the beach when you could and play and do whatever, but there's so much hassle of trying to find a place to eat, trying to find a place to sleep, trying to find a place to park, trying to find a way to get on the beach, trying to find a place you could set up on the beach. Man, what stress. And then trying to keep sand out of your food, out of your drinks, out of your shorts. <laughs> no real peace. But, you know, compared to the day-to-day grind of work, it was peaceful. It was the ocean, which is always nice. Most of the time, the weather was nice. No, and it's not like the ocean here. You can actually get in the water there. If you've never experienced that, I highly encourage you to go try that one time. Salt water is really awesome when it's not freezing you to death. Just saying. But again, it was temporary. We had to leave. We had to go home. We had to get ready for work the next day. (sighs) It's also artificial, isn't it? The peace that the world offers. It's it's not real. It's, It's not something that you can grab onto. The world offers peace in a lot of ways that are really bad. No. Peace for your mind might come in the way of uh, alcohol or drugs or sinful behaviors and you know, sexual desires. You might think that that brings peace in your life. And the world would encourage that. That's, those, are, those are things that will help you find that peace. You don't have to look very far to discover that that's how they feel because it's all over your television. You see it everywhere you turn. The shows, the commercials. It doesn't matter what you look at. That's the things that the world says will help you find peace. You had a hard day at work? Go home and have a beer. Open a bottle of wine. No, That's not working? Go find a doctor that will give you a prescription for this drug or that drug. You know that will settle your mind or will help you sleep. Pardon me. I'm just splattering over here. You you don't sleep very well because you have no peace. Here, go get this pill or that pill. Your mind's in turmoil. Go get another pill. It's all artificial, isn't it? It's man-made. And really, it does more damage than it does good, doesn't it? 
Yeah. The list of side effects often is more encumbering than the actual benefit. Some of you that have to take prescription medicines understand that and realize that, man, <laughs> I have to take this for the original problem and then this for the problem that that brings and this one for the problem that those two bring and then this other problem and it's all artificial. There's no peace in that. There, there's no calm. There's no quietness. There's no tranquility in that. What peace are we talking about? Where is this peace that Jesus is leaving? Where is this peace that comes from Him? You see a different peace. The world gives the, the world gives a temporal peace, an artificial peace. It also gives a conditional peace, doesn't it? The peace that the world gives is based on you giving something up for it so that you can get it. Oftentimes, in my experience, the peace that you give is, or the peace that you get is required that you give your sanity. Really. I mean, and in my experience, you've you got to be crazy. It's conditional. It requires so much from you. It requires you to work your fingers to the bone and to a point of exhaustion so that you can afford to take that peaceful vacation. It requires you to give up of yourself and your family and your loved ones so much time and so much energy for just a moment's peace. We chase after it so much. We desire it so much. And yet it's so fleeting. It's not there the way that we understand it, the way the world tells us to get it. It's a conditional peace. It costs us a lot more than we really gain from the peace. It's conditional. It's not free. But the peace that Jesus is telling us about, the peace that He's leaving these men, the peace that He leaves us, is absolutely free. He says, My peace I give unto you. It's not as the world giveth. The only thing that is required is that we accept it. The Lord Jesus came so that we could have a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that the world doesn't give. A peace that will truly last. A peace that is tangible. A peace that is real. A peace that impacts our lives. A peace that we can hold on to in the face of all adversity. A peace that will last throughout eternity. He goes on to say that we're to... Let not our hearts be troubled. I like that he closes the statement with that because he begins the teaching in chapter 14 with that. And I've often found that when Jesus repeats himself, it's important that you notice that. Let not your heart be troubled. That's really hard to do, isn't it? When we see the things going on around us 
and we deal with the day-to-day family issues that we have and the struggles in our lives, we, we ask the Lord, how is it possible to not be troubled? It's because we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at our situation and at our temporal circumstances and our own way of dealing with it. We're not looking at the gift of peace that Jesus gives us. We're not looking at the encouragement that He alone provides. We're looking at the world. We're we're listening to the things around us. We're listening to the temporal and artificial and conditional peace that's available, and we're not realizing that Jesus gives us a peace that will help us to not let our hearts be troubled. There's not a peace that's going to relinquish us from all trials and tribulations, is it? It's not a peace that's going to keep us safe and warm and cozy every night of the week and we can just pass through life with no worries or cares, is it? But it is a peace that will help us to not be troubled in our hearts because we have some promises of God. One being that He will come back to us again someday. One being that He will take us out of this and He will take us home to be with Him. Another being that He will be with us no matter where we go. He'll walk with us through this daily life. See, Jesus knew what it meant to have an inner peace because He knew our struggles. He dealt with the same issues. He was tempted like as we are. Everything that we face, He's faced. He's not shocked by any of it. He's not dismayed by any of your struggles, any of your worries, or any of your issues. He's aware of it all. And yet He still says, don't let your heart be troubled. I give you peace. I give you a peace that the world can't give you. And we're to draw on that peace. He didn't give it to us just as a statement. He gave it to us as a tool to be used to have purpose in our lives, to make a difference in who we are, and of course, to be a light. Because we're not the only ones dealing with struggles, are we? We're not the only ones that have jobs that get on, you know, Co-workers that get on our nerves and families that won't listen and children that are driving us up a wall and everything else. We're not the only ones that are searching for peace in a world gone mad. There's a lost and dying world out there around us that is struggling and hurting and scared and wondering, what am I going to do? How do I get through this? And we have peace. Why? How? We have an opportunity to share that. We have an opportunity to draw on that and to use that peace that Jesus has given us through His death, burial, and resurrection and our belief on Him to show the world that there is a way. There is peace that is real. There is peace that can make a difference. It's the only peace that matters. 
It's the only peace that will do. But we have to be in the right place with Jesus. So this peace is free to any who will ask of it. But in order to get this peace, you first have to realize you can't get it on your own. We can't make it. We can't manufacture it, though the world tries. We have to come to Jesus for it. Again, in verse 6 of this chapter, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no way to get this peace that Jesus offers apart from him. None whatsoever. As Christians, I ask you, are you drawing from the peace that Jesus gives? Or are you looking at the world around you wringing your hands, wondering what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? Oh, woe is me. Or are you claiming the peace that Jesus has given? Are you letting your heart be troubled? Are you afraid? Or are you trusting in God? Have you come to the point of trusting God for salvation? If not, let me, let me implore you today. Please. This is only going to get worse. Everything that we see going on around us is just the tip of the iceberg. It's only going to get worse. Now is the day to, to find true peace, meaningful peace in Jesus Christ. You're a sinner that needs saved. All of this is happening is because the world is steeped in sin. It's, it's steeped in darkness. And it's, it's not going to get any better until the Lord returns. But you can be saved. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can receive the peace of Jesus Christ today if you'll only submit and receive the only peace that matters. As we stand... And they come give us a song with every head bowed and every eye closed.